First of all, let me, um, let me just say thanks to, to Joe. Where are you, Joe? <laughs> He's in the back. He's a, hey, Joe. Um, thanks to Joe for preaching last week. Um, Joe and I met up for a, a drink a few weeks ago and um, a, a coffee, and, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and <laughs> sorry. And he, he said to me, I love Genesis 3. Like, how do you love the fall, dude? This is like, <laughs> but he just, you know, I love it, and I've, you know, I've studied it, and I, and, and I said, well, if you want to preach Genesis 3, you can do it. Um, and, you know, and I'm sure, you know, if you were here last week, you will agree that, um, that Joe preached the gospel, you know, and why Jesus died for us, and, and, and the reality of sin as well. Um, and, again, Dawn's prayer for Joe was obviously a little extravagant. He's not the best guy in the world. You know, he's just, he's way up there, there, you know. Um, <laughs> you might actually be the best guy, I don't know. You know the Lord will decide. Um, but one, if you don't know Joe, this is one thing I would say that, that Dawn didn't say. Um, a lot of us, you know, we, we see difficult things around us. We see things happening in the world and, um, and maybe we're going through personal challenges and, and we kind of wonder where God is. And, and, um, and Joe, Joe, as a policeman and as a chaplain, army chaplain, sees, sees some terrible things. And you'll often just like, sit, I'll ask him, how was your week? And he's like, well, this happened and this happened. And I'm like, what the heck? How, like, how did you even cope with that? And yet he is smiling. Um, and he's, even as he sees the worst of humanity, he knows God in the midst of it. Um, and so he's a, he's a great guy to speak to if, if you are, f- are facing a challenge, if you're struggling with something, if you're going through a trial. I'd strongly encourage you to speak to Joe. He speaks from his heart. He speaks from experience. Um, and he carries, he carries God with him. So um, we are going to carry on with our, our sermon on series on sin. Um, Jacob asked me today, are we talking about sin again? I said, yes, Jacob, we'll be talking for at least the next eight weeks. Um, <laughs> it's because you've got so much sin. No, that's not the reason. Um, you know, we, there's so much amazing scripture, and even just preparing, trying to prepare one little thing tonight. You know, obviously, we could, we could spend weeks in Romans, couldn't we? You know, and I'm not, I'm not going to Romans yet, because it needs a few sermons on its own. But, you know, the point of what we're doing um, over the series is not to be looking at some scripture and trying to get some head knowledge and, and leave you a little bit, maybe a little bit more edified. Um, maybe we cover a lot of scripture. And scripture obviously is powerful. But I believe God wants us to go slowly, as has been his desire for the last few years now. That, that, we, that we take scripture and we, and we really bed it into our hearts and give him space to work in us. So um, I'm going to speak from, from just two scriptures tonight. I am going to look at Genesis again and then we're going to look at 1 John. And this is just a kind of foundation. Um, we also, Joe mentioned, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about doing communion more often, you know, and, and particularly as we, as we actually talk about sin, um, we can actually, we can, we can share communion together. So tonight, um, we're not going to do the sort of formal communion where everyone lines up like we do on the first Sunday. We'll do that next week. 
But during the last worship song, okay, I'm going to bless the elements and they'll just be up at the front. And if you'd like to come and take communion, then just, just make your way up and just take communion. So that more, more often we're going to have this chance just to receive the body and the blood of Christ, to be reminded of what he did for us. So we will do that at the end. Um, I did want to... I haven't planned a long sermon tonight because I also wanted to just touch briefly on what is happening in our world at the moment. Um, you know, and it was awesome um, for those of you who were here on Friday we, that we, you know, we, prayed, we prayed for what's happening in Ukraine um, and there was intercession. And, and it's amazing when you take things to God how much of a relief that you feel. Because it was a really heavy week um, this past week. I'm sure that a lot of you felt this. Um, you know, and I think, you know, ever since COVID started, we've read Isaiah 60, the first few verses of Isaiah 60 a few times, and we've had a few sermons on it. I'm going to read, a, read the first two verses to us again. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. There are these, these moments where we look at the world and, and the darkness is so much easier to see. Um, the reality for a lot of the world's population is that life is dark and hard. Um, we often have, have been able to get used to more comfortable lives. But this is something that we're going to talk through in this series at different times that even, you know, we look at that darkness and we see the destruction that, that is happening in Ukraine. The source of that darkness is the same source of darkness in abuse and in rape and in murder and in trafficking and in anxiety and in anger and all the things that followed the fall. The darkness is all around us. It just shows itself more at different times. But we, as a church, have hope. We have these words from Isaiah, which obviously God spoke over Israel, that the Lord rises, rises upon us. His glory appears over us. Now, I, in my day job, I actually teach international politics. So last week was particularly heavy, having to talk about what's happening in Ukraine for hours. Um, Thursday was a terrible day because I, did, I talked about Ukraine for about three hours and then I spent an hour and a half talking about racism. That was, that was not a nice day. <laughs> I felt so heavy. And I won't bore you with international relations theory, although you should all know it. Okay, it's really helpful. Um, but, you know, what's happening in Ukraine doesn't, doesn't surprise me. And there are a lot of scholars out there, it doesn't surprise, they've kind of been waiting for it to happen for the last 15, 20 years. Um, some it has surprised. But this has been building for a while. And, and, and it, 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 this has taken so many people by surprise that it is quite hard for us, even in the profession, to work out what exactly is happening and what's going to happen next. Um, and I don't say that to give you more despair, but it's just the reality 
that it would be amazing and it's quite possible that world leaders will actually gather together and do what's needed. It's also possible that God will hear our prayers if we pray over this. Scripture is so full of amazing stories. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is my favorite, the most powerful king the world has ever known. And God breaks him until he's willing, ready and willing to recognize God as sovereign. Putin is not beyond God's hand at all. No leaders are. But, you know, the reality is things could get worse. Um, again, I'm not going to bore you with theory, but it, it just could. We could be going back to kind of a Cold War or even a late 19th century situation um, where there's just more conflict and life becomes more difficult and our TVs will be more expensive. You know, that could happen. And I, I want us to see, um, again, that you know, sin is, is something that we take seriously. That it, it leads to death. That's what scripture teaches us. Sin leads to death. It leads to eternal death. But it leads to death and suffering around us, doesn't it? Um, but, <laughs> as depressing as I'm making you, <laughs> Even as we take sin seriously, we don't despair. Because the light came into this world and the darkness was not able to overcome it. And Jesus institutes his church so that the light of Christ might shine in a dark world. And that the more desperate and dark the world becomes, the more Christ's light will shine and, and the more the hope in us will shine the more we actually have to give to the world around us, who scrambles and wonders why the systems they've put in place are not working anymore. Well, because they're put in place by men and women, but let's admit it, mostly men. We don't despair because we have Jesus, we have God, and we are the church. We are the church. Um, See if I can find this. Joe sent me a, a post. Yeah, this is the president of the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. <laughs> he posted this a few days ago, talking about the invasion. The church will go underground. We had that under the Soviet Union. The church did not forget what it means to be persecuted. We will rearrange, reorganize, and do what we always do, preach the gospel. It's what we do. We preach the gospel. Because gospel, the gospel, is the good news. And that's what we bring to the world around us. So we don't celebrate ever, obviously, suffering and what is going on. But we do see that we have been called to be the church. And we have light to offer the world around us. And if you heard Joe speak last week, he has that in his job all the time. Because he's around darkness all the time. And it's easy to see. But all of us have darkness around us all the time. And we can minister. And we can speak peace to those around us who are struggling with what is happening. So pray for Ukraine. I come from a country where people talk about a miracle saving it, and I believe God saves. He is able to move. He loves to partner with us, though. He loves our prayers, so pray. Pray, people, pray. Okay. Um, the, 
next thing I wanted to talk about, and we've mentioned these things before, but um, so we're going to talk about sin for a while, okay? Let me just kind of map this out, and I'll do this quickly so I can carry on. But over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about, um, we're, going, we're going to Romans, and we'll talk about our flesh and how we fight against our flesh, and we'll talk a little bit about you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and how we have to fight against these different systems that push against us. And we'll also talk a little bit about strongholds, how sin can, can kind of get roots into us, and how we, can, how we can tear those out by the power of Jesus. Okay, and then, and, then, and, then, and then what's really going to be fun is that we're going to go after a few sins. You know, and I'll try to choose all the sins that none of us have problems with. Okay, so it's a lot easier for you. Okay, um, I mean, obviously that's a lie. Because, you know, I... I if you were here two weeks ago, you know that I really wrestled with the sermon series and I, I felt such a weight of sin and, and just, it was horrible. But now I'm getting more and more excited by this because every time I sit down, I just, I just hear the Lord saying, I'm bringing freedom. I'm bringing freedom. And so if there are sins in your life that you're wrestling with, be excited. He's bringing freedom. And unfortunately, sometimes with sin, it just has to be exposed, you know. It has to come into the light. We have to talk about it. We have to be honest and courageous and let Jesus actually penetrate our hearts and our souls and deal with it. So we'll go off to some, we'll go off to some, some sin. We can't go through all of them, but we'll pick a few, you know, so we can get some freedom and also we can see a pattern of how to do that. How do we dive into the Word and how do we dive into the power of the Holy Spirit and how do we press into Him for freedom? And after all of that, as we're doing this, the reason why I'm excited, the reason why we're going to have freedom is I believe, I really believe, as I said two weeks ago, that Jesus is going to become more in focus to us. He's going to be more clear to us. We're going to see him more. And we're going to know him more. And there's nothing to drive us to our knees and repentance like knowing Jesus and not wanting anything in the way. And that's where we're going. Okay, so over the next few weeks. She has some things for us to do as a church. Um, these are not a requirement. There is no striving in this. We're just making an opportunity, if you so desire, to join as a community together into a few things. Okay, so I would encourage you, if you're not in a home group, jump into a home group. Okay? Um, that's the first thing. The second thing, um, we are, we, we're going to have these Wednesday prayer meetings from 5 to 6 a.m., I know, it seems an ungodly hour, but the Lord is in it from five to six. Um, Abby will be here. She will be leading those. <laughs> All Kingdom Life staff and their spouses are required to be there, Ryan. Um, <laughs> no, there's, no, there's no striving, but if you, if you want to be in a place, and there might just be Abby, but if you want to be in a place where God is just, where he's just hearing our prayers and you want to do that with each other. You know, Brandon might come and, 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 and play. Um, someone else might be on a guitar, but it's just super informal. Um, but maybe just once in this Lenten season, just come one Wednesday and just see what it's like. Um, and, you know, Dawn's already talked about prayer room on Friday. But I, just to emphasize that again, if you haven't been on a Friday from 5 to 6.30, then, then, then come. It's It's amazing. You can literally lie down on those comfy chairs at the back of the whole hour and a half and just soak in God's presence and just worship Him. You can grab a flag and run around like a, a really talented flag-waving person. <laughs> yeah. Or not. You may, you may look terrible, but the Lord will love it. Okay, Brandon is not again. <laughs> Never mind. 
be on your knees at the front. Just be in God's presence. It really is a chance. If you ever on Sunday night, if you ever stand here and you think, I want to be more free, but you just feel too nervous because there's too many people, then come on a Friday night and just be yourself and worship him. And worship him. The next thing, two more things. Um, we're going to have, there should be slides for these, Zach. I don't know if you can find them. Um, we are going to have a Lenten fast. Okay, again, just, it's, a, it's an offer to the church. The, the, the staff are going to be fasting. Um, haven't asked the elders yet. Um, the staff are going to be fasting, and we're just inviting you into a fast. Um, Lent begins on Wednesday, and it runs through to Easter. Okay, so it's, it's um, I don't know, 40 days or so. Um, and I'm not saying this is a fast that you should do, but some ideas might be to take a Daniel fast, to give up meat, um, coffee, and things like that. Um, you could um, give up food during daylight hours and just eat at dinner. You could give up one meal a day. You could give up Netflix and all other streaming services. Um, <laughs> Twitch, you may or may not be addicted. Um, wait for that sin series. Um, the point, though, is that um, the point of fasting is that we, we give up something. Okay? And, and, and the reason we're doing this is, is there's a few reasons. But first of all, if, 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 as we talk about the flesh and fighting against our flesh, fasting is absolutely essential to crushing the flesh. Okay? It's telling the flesh that it's not in charge anymore. And so if that's something you've been wrestling with, I really encourage you, try a fast. Secondly, you know, when we fast, the, the aim of the fast is that you, the thing that you give up is supposed to give you time to be with God. Okay, so if you give up a meal, instead of eating for 30 minutes, you, you pray for 30 minutes. Or you just walk and you talk with him. You know, but you just engage with him. And so that time becomes your time with him. And you're sacrificing something and you're getting something better in return. So think about that. Again, it's not a, it's not a requirement. It's just... We're going to do it as a community. And when a community does it, there's always more power in it. Okay. Um, and, you know, if you've never fasted before, try the easiest possible thing you can imagine, honestly. But pray into that. And then lastly, um, back to the garden. Um, if you go to that URL, um, back to the garden, it's a 12-week course. It's, it's free, you just have to register, um, and it's run by some friends of ours who are actually, some of their team are here on Friday leading prayer room. And it's t 12 weeks of going through Genesis, basically, and looking at the fall, and looking at why Jesus died, um, why he really died, and what his death accomplishes. Um, and it's, it's very powerful. And it's another thing that you could do during this Lenten season, if, if you want to press in more. Uh, it, Peter Louis, who does the videos, he'll be unpacking a lot of the things that we talk about. Okay. Um, all of this, you'll notice this is not the sort of thing that Kingdom Life normally does, is it? Like give you all of these things that we could encourage you to do. <laughs> okay. Again, it's not striving, but what we, what we sense is a, a real grace to step into, into intimacy with Christ, into a new knowledge of Christ. And just, these are just things that we see can really help us do that. Okay. So just ask the Lord, hey, Lord, should I do any of these things? And, just, and then just be obedient. Okay. So um, can you turn to Genesis 1 in your Bibles? 
Now we've got about 15 minutes to get through this. We'll see how we do. I'm going to jump around a few verses in Genesis 1, 26, um, just because of time. I'm going to skip a little bit, and then I'll read a little bit of Genesis 2 as well. So Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Simply what I want us to see in this scripture, um, I know we've all heard tons of sermons on these scriptures before, but simply to see that man, that we, man and woman, that we are God's highest art form, his highest creation. We are the only thing that he creates out of his hands, his very hands, that he puts a soul and a spirit into, where he merges the physical and the spiritual into one being. We are his ultimate creation. And the second thing to pull from this is how intimate this scene is. If you imagine God actually taking the clay or the dirt out the ground and actually shaping a man with his hands. He's not just speaking it in like he did the rest of creation. He's actually using his hands. And then he breathes his life into it, into this shape. And man and woman are created. And I think there's even intimacy in his desire for Adam to have a companion. And I think there's intimacy in the way that he brings all of his creations to Adam and says, what, what should we call this? What should we call this? What should we call this bird? What should we call this cow? This cow? And of course, there's intimacy as well, as we see later in the way that God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden and speaks to them. So we heard Genesis 3 last week. I'm just going to read six, uh, verses 6 to 9 to remind us of this story we know well. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed together fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the breeze of the day, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? I heard your voice in the garden, he replied, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? asked the Lord. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? We see this intimacy of the Father coming to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. Maybe this was his nightly ritual. We don't know. Isn't it amazing that Adam and Eve could be with God and they, and they, and they weren't destroyed by his holiness? Isn't that amazing? They could just be with God. And you notice too how Adam and Eve judge themselves before God does. That they're the ones who hide. They're the ones who see themselves as naked. We know God doesn't mind nakedness. He made us in all our glory. (laughs) He doesn't mind it. Some are more glorious than others, I'm sure. Uh, But he doesn't mind our nakedness. It's Adam and Eve who judge themselves. This knowledge of good and evil, they recognize something wrong with themselves. And I'm, I'm going to speak about this more later, so I'm just going to flag it now. But this is something we're going to come back to. Is this, this is really rather terrible saying that Christians often have about, um, you know, that we, we just save sinners. We are saved. We were sinners. God doesn't call us saved sinners. He calls us sons and daughters. And there's too many Christians in this church our church, not this church, but our church. There are too many Christians in the church who still spend so much time judging themselves and condemning themselves when God is saying, I I died to set you free. I died to set you free. I did not die that you would walk in judgment of yourself. And I know that's one of the things that God's going to do in this series, that some of us really struggle with actually forgiving ourselves when God has long forgotten the sin. And we're going to step away from that model that Adam and Eve gave us, and we're not going to judge ourselves. Paul has some good things to say about that, and we'll come back to that. But go back to, go back to this picture of, of, um, of God holding Adam and Eve and breathing on them, um, breathing life into them. If this is the first time in Scripture that we see God actually breathing physically on his, his created order, that's... Um, I love the parallel that we see with Jesus and John, John 20. When Jesus says to his disciples, he says, John 20, 22 says, and he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. This first breath of God brings life. It brings soul and spirit into a created order. And it creates something that can worship God and walk with him and be with him. And we have the fall, and we have sin, and we have brokenness. But then we have Jesus. And his death and his resurrection sets us free from our sin. And the gift that he gives us, the culmination of his life, is Pentecost. Is the gift of his spirit, where this promise of what he has breathed onto his disciples comes. And now we don't just have man with spirit and soul, but now we have this highest created order with the very spirit of God coming into us. 
And if Adam and Eve could walk in the garden with God and not be destroyed, then we, after Jesus, with his Spirit, are able to be with the Father without being destroyed. It's frankly a little crazy because we have something even better than Adam and Eve had. We actually have him in us. He does that good a job of ridding us of sin that God himself can be in us. So turn to 1 John. This has to be some of the best scripture. I'm going to do something slightly weird. I'm going to read 1 John 3 and then I'm going to go back to chapter 2. So let's read these words carefully together. Remember, Jesus' heart is to restore us to intimacy. 1 John 3, from verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For, the purpose, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. The first time I read that scripture, I was really petrified. Um, because <laughs> I know I sin. Um, and, it's, and it says quite clearly here, if I sin, essentially I am of the devil. Which seems a bit harsh. Okay? And oh, you know, it doesn't seem to reflect the gospel. But there's, there's a profound promise here, isn't there? That if we are in Christ, if we have his righteousness, we will not sin. Because something in us has changed. But of course, John is not saying that if we have Jesus, we will never sin. Okay, and this is why if we go back to 1 John 1, sorry, not to 1 John 1 from verse 5, he says this, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So you might read those two sections and be slightly confused if you haven't studied 1 John before. And there's just a couple of things I want to pull out from this. The first thing is, and we will talk about the sin of, of a kind of religious pride, that if we say we have no sin, if we believe that we can work our way to holiness, that we can strive our way into God's good graces, if we have pride like the Pharisees and we thank God that we don't sin as much as others, we lie. 
and we don't have Jesus in us. The other thing he says here is that if we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. And there might be some of us, and we're going to go after this, and, we, and, we, and we're going to just have to be, you know, go after some, some things where they might not always be easy, as I've said, but some of us might be stuck in things where, where we do feel darkness. Anyone who's had an eating disorder, or any, anyone who's been addicted to pornography knows this. You feel the darkness pulling you. And that is not freedom. That is not what Jesus has for us. Jesus has the victory over that. And I can look around this room and I know testimonies of Jesus having victory <laughs> in these things. But we have to confess. We have to bring these things into the light. We have to be honest. But what John is saying in these, in these scriptures, and this is the idea about being saved sinners, is that, and different theologians look at this in different ways, but I think, the, I think the best interpretation that I've seen is the way that he uses the present and the past tense. Because that we were, you know, we obviously were sinners before we were saved. We were separated from God by our sin. But Jesus has saved us. Now we still have a flesh. We are still human. We still have the capability to sin. And that's what he's getting at in First John, in the first chapter, okay? That if we say we don't sin, if we have this sort of religious pride, we're lying. Because sin is a, is a part of humanity. But when we get through to First John 3, and he's saying, if you're in Jesus, you don't sin. It's because our very nature has been changed. We're no longer sinners. Okay, we are sons and daughters of God that will sometimes still sin. But no longer are we under the bondage, under the hold of darkness. That is what he breaks. And I could preach for another two hours on what that looks like and how we can do that. Okay, but we're going to take our time on this. Because if we get this truth, if we get it into our souls and our spirits now, our walk with Christ will be transformed. Imagine a life where sin no longer has a hold. Imagine a life where you're not walking around with shame or guilt and the lies of Satan. <laughs> Imagine a life where Jesus is so clear to us. And I really do believe this. We are his sons and his daughters. And there's something so amazing as we start to see him and his beauty more. That sin, sin stops being something that we fight against as if it's a competition. And, it, and it, it, sin just becomes things that we are so desperate to get rid of. Because why would we want anything to separate us from him? because we adore him so much. And the more that we see that the reason he came to die, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is not just that we were sinners and that he died for us, that we would be saved. The good news of the gospel is that he did that because he loves us 
and wants to be in relationship with us and wants intimacy with us and wants us to flourish in our life with him. That is great news, people. And I'm excited. And I know, you know, whether you are 17 and been walking with God for 17 years or whether Bill is almost 70, I think, Bill. You know, there's, there's so much more for us all the time to press in and find more freedom. All the time. So worship team, will you come up um, and uh, play for us? Joe, can you bring the communion with grace, please? So, as I said at the beginning, the body and the blood will be here. Come whenever you're ready during this, during this next session of worship. And what I, would, what I would love you to consider, what I'd love you to consider asking the Lord, is just very simply, is Jesus, will you give me a greater revelation of your desire for intimacy. Because I can ask that question all about the house, but, I, but I, I want you to ask him if that's your desire. Put in your own words. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And at supper too, he took a cup, a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus gave this body and he gave this blood that we would be called sons and daughters and that we would be free. So let's worship.